as we also seek to have God in our thinking, in our speaking, and in our loving, I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is, uh, well, the book of Psalms is right in the middle of your Bibles. And once you found the middle, if you're in Proverbs, go back a little bit. Um, if you're in Job, go forward a little bit. We find our way to Psalm 42, which uh, your Bibles might note that the, the book of Psalms is divided into different books within itself. And this is the beginning of book two of the book of Psalms. And this is a psalm that cries out to God. And this is also a psalm um, that, that has a little bit of, of conversing with oneself happening. Um, I would call it existential introspection. Um, those moments where, where you're looking into the depths of your own soul in such a way that we talk about doing in Lent. That it's a time of, of observation. It's a time both to observe repentance as well as to seek redemption. And so you'll hear the psalmist talking to the psalmist's self um, and having a conversation with ourselves. And so sometimes uh, we, don't, we want to be a little bit careful. We don't want to get the reputation of someone who talks to themselves too much. Um, people might think you're peculiar. But let's just remember that the psalmist does this well. And the psalmist does so to lead us to bring all that we are, all that's going on in our lives before God. And this is our, our final sermon in the How to Lent um, series, as next week Pastor Audrey will be preaching to lead us into the season of Lent. As Ash Wednesday, we will gather here together to receive the imposition of ashes on our foreheads, to remind us that, that we are dust, and to dust we will return, to remind us that there is sin and, and death in our lives, and Lent is the time when we attend to that and, and reach in so that we can offer it up to God and seek redemption and healing. So as we read from um, Psalm 42, this is the psalm which many of our songs this morning were taken from. This is the As the Deer. Um, it is D-E-E-R, not D-E-E-R-E. -E. Sorry for those of you who are hoping for that. As we come before God's word, let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit. Make us thirsty for you. May we dwell in your holy temple by connecting our hearts to you. May we thirst after your words as if they were the very words that were to keep us alive this week. May we thirst after your Holy Spirit in such a way that Without it, we would be nothing. Lord, may we thirst after you. And may you satisfy our thirst through the power of your word, by the name of your Holy Spirit. Amen. And as we read from God's word at the end, you'll hear me say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you are grateful this day, then simply respond with, thanks be to God. Psalm 42, beginning at verse 1. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. 
How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The deer pants for streams of water. Why is that? Well, without water, what would happen? We would die. True for deer, true for us. We need water to live. And so in Psalm 42, this example of a deer that's looking for streams of water, a deer simply finding water to stay alive because we die without it, is used as the analogy and the example for what it can look like to thirst after God. To know that without God, there is nothing to life. In fact, there is no life at all. Now, as we approach the season of Lent, as we maybe consider a a practice to take on, to, to Uh, pursue Christ and and to be intentional about our life of discipleship, or maybe as Wednesday draw nears, we think about something to give up, to fast from, a worthwhile question is, what can't you live without? How would you answer that question? Particularly, we're a little bit primed here because we're in church, so now if we were to say, what can't you live without, we would all say, God, and we would be right to do so. But to think about the things that we give up, it's how we answer that question in our daily lives, or maybe not how we answer it, but how we live it. What what are the things that we show that we just can't live without? Knowing that not all of these things are bad, but that they're not all there is to life, that we can live without them. For some of us, we can't live without our technology. There is a heightened anxiety if we misplace our phone or can't find it. For some of us, we just can't live without coffee. And other people don't want to live around us if we don't have it. As it is said, don't let anyone tell you fairy tales aren't real. I make a magic potion from beans every morning and it brings me back to life. This is on many coffee mugs and other things. Which reflects one simple attitude, I just can't live without my coffee. Maybe it's your favorite TV show. You don't want to miss an episode. 
fall so far behind, oh, I just couldn't survive if I heard some spoilers. These are not all bad things. These things can be enjoyed in their proper place and measure. Even reading for knowledge or for enjoyment can be a good thing. But to know that all of this, if it was all boiled away, the one thing that we truly can't live without is God. Now, you'll note, I'm not saying that as you think about fasting, that you should fast from all food and water for 40 days, unless you've been somehow working up to that. That'd be like trying to, with no training, just wake up one day and run a marathon. But maybe to think about what are the things that we live that reflect, I couldn't live without. Maybe it's not giving up the TV show, but maybe it's saying five minutes of prayer or reading a chapter of our Bible or just saying a prayer for someone that we know before we watch. But to know that all of this, the whole idea of fasting and the whole idea of taking on a practice of scripture reading or prayer is to direct us back to the thing that we need to thirst for the most, which is a sense of God's Holy Spirit living within us and around us. That Lent is a time that that should evoke within us a reminder of this longing for God. Now, it might be worth noting that we should live like this all the time. And so maybe all the things we've talked about over the the past few weeks in terms of fasting um, and, and practices and preparing our hearts for Lent, it could be said, isn't that how we're supposed to live all the time? And the answer is yes, of course it is. But we need these times where maybe we realize that we've been distracted. We've been wandering a little bit. And Lent's the time to, to, to remind us of how we should be living fully and to set in place those habits that, that make it live within us again. A college chaplain once told me that his favorite week of his entire career is always finals weeks. And his reasoning was quite simple. He said, it's the one week when students are doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is studying and learning. And he has very little sympathy for their stress, I suppose. Lent is like a 40 days of finals week for us, when we're intentional about doing the things that we know we should be doing, but also making sure, remembering from a few weeks ago, that we do them for the right reasons. Not so that we're showing off, not so that we're so proud of ourselves, but that it brings within us a thirst for God, to use the example of a deer panting for streams of water. Now, just knowing the fall recreational activities of some of you, I would say, don't picture this beautiful buck that you would love to get mounted on the wall in the garage or wherever else you might have permission to do so. Think of just a scrawny, thirsty deer. One that looks dehydrated and tired, not in the picturesque scenes of fall, but in the heat of summer. To let that image, the deer in the desert, Be the one that serves as our picture, as our analogy for thirsting after God. That we do so in Lent, we thirst after God so that we can find areas in our own life for repentance. And repentance that leads not to wallowing in pity or shame, but repentance that leads to redemption. This past week on Wednesday, I had the privilege of officiating the funeral for my childhood bus driver. And 
at that funeral, um, I just recapped the one phrase that I knew him best by. And the one phrase I knew Marv well by was, turn around and sit down. True for probably a lot of the bus drivers we know, especially elementary school bus routes. Marv would often say, turn around and sit down. And so we played with that phrase a little bit at his funeral in terms of what does it mean to turn around when, when it means of all of life's distractions, things that are well worth our time, things that keep us busy, the, the living that we have, but hopefully that we don't miss out on having a life. Uh, we've got busy things on our calendar. We've got a, a full host of both job and volunteer opportunities And aside from all of those things that we're looking around, we've also got maybe some things in our rearview mirror. Maybe we've got some regrets in our past. And we're trying to look at all of those things, like a kid on a school bus who's looking everywhere else. Turn around, for one. Face forward. And and literally, the word for repent in Hebrew is to turn around. To turn away from everything else even to, to know that God can bring healing to the past, the past hurts that we have, that God can bring peace to our regrets when we find ways to truly bring them to God, to turn around, to face forward, to look up and say, God, just as a thirsty deer looks for water, I'm looking for you. Turn around and sit down. Sit down and know you're not driving the bus. There's things that are not in our control. And that we have to sit down and let God take us on the journey that we are on, being attentive maybe to where we're going, what direction we're facing. But sometimes Lent is the time to remember that we're not all in total control, maybe in some ways that scare us. And Lent is the time to bring some of that fear to God, openly, intentionally, confessionally. So that our cycle of both repentance and redemption is a cycle of reaching into the depths of our souls, having those conversations with ourselves so that we can seek redemption, so that we can seek healing. One of the quotes last week that's been circled around social media, which I'm very confident now were not memes, but were just cultural comments being spread, if you don't heal what hurt you, You will bleed on people who didn't cut you. If you don't heal what hurt you, you will bleed on people who didn't cut you. Meaning, the areas in our lives that are wounded, we will inflict that on others. Maybe if we haven't forgiven someone, we'll be quicker to anger. Maybe if we're discontented, If we're dissatisfied, we will find dissatisfaction in others. Areas of healing where we've been perhaps hurt and made angry that have made us internalize it to be a little bit passive-aggressive. These are the areas that we come to healing, that we come to Jesus for in our own lives and with others around us. That we come to Jesus who is the good physician that we do seek healing for our souls. And this whole conversation with the soul that's going on in Psalm 42 is an individual conversation. This is someone who's reaching in and then putting their trust in God, asking themselves questions like, why my soul are you so downcast within me? In verse 5 and 11. And in verse 5 and 11, this is an honest question. 
Why, my soul, are you so downcast? And in verse 6, an answer is given. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, but hold to therefore just for a second. Sometimes in the Christian life, we buy into a lie that because of God's love for us, we should be pretending to be happy all of the time. Psalm 42, therefore, is a great way to call that out, to check it at the door. To say the psalmist, why, my soul, are you downcast within me? Why are you down in the dumps? Maybe the answer is, you know what? Life, is been, life has been hard right now. I feel like I'm just keeping my head above water. I feel like I'm in the desert and I'm thirsty. That's why my soul is downcast within me, because life has been hard. An honest, an honest and authentic response is to simply say what is so. My soul is downcast. But then what do we do with that? If, if Lent is a time where we're going to seek repentance but also redemption, knowing that our soul is downcast within us, knowing that there are wounds that are still hurting us and are probably making us hurt other people around us, knowing that all of that is happening within our soul, is there any hope for what we do with it? Of course, the answer is yes. Verse 4 and verse 6, both responding to this whole internal conversation that we have on display in Psalm 42. And it's remembering. These things I remember in verse 4 as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God how I used to worship, how I used to lead the way because I was so excited to worship in spirit and in truth and I was full of life within me and everything in life seemed good. Oh, how I remember those days. These are what the psalmist, these are the memories that are being called to mind even when our soul is downcast within us, even in time of trial, even when life seems turbulent and unfair and harsh. I do remember this good time of worship in verse 4. And in verse 6, Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Nazar. Now there's something geographically significant about those places. They are further away from the temple. They're further away from the altar. So if you can picture um, in the Old Testament when David was fleeing from Saul, can you picture him longing to be back in God's presence, longing to, to offer his sacrifice at the altar, but not being able to? And so instead, from across the Jordan, he's remembering God. He's remembering when he was where he wanted to be. From the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, where he can just be high enough up to look to remember back. Remembering backwards is how we look in faith forwards. Because we don't know the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. But we don't know the future. And so all of our hope, our confidence, as we sang this morning, in God's future faithfulness is based on remembering back. Remembering to those times where life was full and good. Remembering what it felt like to be in God's presence that we bring those things to mind 
so that we don't have to instantly change how we're feeling. We have to work through it. Slow, steady crockpot pace. No microwave popcorn here when we look into the depths of our souls. We look back to remember, and we do so well. And then, even if it's not quite where we are, even as we look at our soul that is downcast within us, that, that we are disturbed, that we're hurt, that we have things that we wish we would have said, we have regrets about things that we didn't say or did say. As the liturgy teaches us both in worship and in funerals, that God forgives us what we have done and what we have left undone. In all of this, the psalmist keeps answering the question of why my soul are you downcast? Not with a clear answer that makes things go away to brush it under the rug because if you brush too many things under the rug, you just get lumpy carpet. But rather, the answer is put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Notice the psalmist isn't even telling someone else to put their hope in God, but is saying to, to himself, my soul that is downcast, soul, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him someday again, maybe not right now, maybe not in all of the fullness that I desire. I remember that, but that's not where I am. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. How do we make that turn? Sometimes we just have to remember what is true and hold to it. That just as in the book of James, we're told to, to, let to let our trials have their full effect, which maybe the analogy that we can use for that is like taking your medication all the way through, actually following the whole prescription. There's some physicians who would really encourage us to do that, to follow those directions. But also to know that this will pass. And, and to not be tricked into thinking that when those moments when our soul is downcast will be permanent either. Certainly there's the, the hope, the heavenly hope that we have. We'll celebrate a taste of that at communion next week in remembrance, communion, and hope that this supper will be a pledge and foretaste of the day when we're gathered together in heaven. But also remembering back, and for this I take a cue from Charles Spurgeon. Um, if you're not familiar with Spurgeon, he's an old school writer, both in sermons but also in some meaningful reflections. And Spurgeon's reflection on Psalm 42 is, is actually molding us all the way back to, to Genesis 3 when, when, when humanity fell into sin, when Adam and Eve were deceived. And God's question is, who, who told you that this would happen? And so Spurgeon says this in, in Old English, who, who told thee that the night would never end in day? Who told thee that the sea of circumstances would ebb out till there should be nothing left but long leagues of the mud of horrible poverty? Who told thee that the winter of thy discontent would proceed from frost to frost, from snow and ice and hail to deeper snow? I think he had a snow day in there too. And yet more heavy tempest of despair. Who told you that there would be no dawn after the night? Who told you these things? Spurgeon says this is, this is where the lies of the enemy 
of your enemy, the devil, take over to tell you to try to steal away your hope, like birds taking seeds off the path. Who told you all these things? To know that the best we can do sometime is to remember that it wasn't God who said that there would not be any dawn after the night. That came from somewhere else. Spurgeon continues, Know that day follows night, that flood comes after ebb, that spring and summer will succeed winter. Hope then, hope forever, that God will fail thee not. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, says Psalm 42, my Savior and my God. Thirst in the times of desert, thirst for the right things. And perhaps the best thing we can do in Lent is to stay thirsty in all of the right ways. And when we think about what we can't live without or, 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 or what we don't possibly have time to, to um, interject into our busy lives, to stay thirsty for the living God. That if we're in a good place to, to hold on to it well, that it can be the type of place that we look back to just as we're given in Psalm 42, those times where things were good to look back to. And if we're in the desert, to remember back. So regardless of which posture you enter into Lent this Wednesday, regardless of what you want to do or not do throughout this season, or if you don't want to actually do anything at all, Perhaps the best thing that we can get from all of this existential introspection, learning from the deer, stay thirsty. Stay thirsty for the streams of living water. And Jesus Christ and him alone is the living water. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, let's pray. God, help us to thirst in all of the right ways. Help us to seek healing in all of the right ways. To not find ways to avoid pain. To not find coping mechanisms to numb our pain. But rather to come to you, thirsting for your presence in our lives. May we do so that even if we're in the midst of the desert, even if our soul is downcast within us, that we can still put our hope in you, O oh God. And trust that we will praise you again, our Savior and our God. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living water whom we thirst after. Amen.